Uh, we are continuing. In fact, we are wrapping up our year-long journey that we've been calling the whole shebang part two and looking at getting into character, looking at different characters throughout God's overall story. And this morning, we're wrapping the whole thing up. And if you have been with us for uh, a portion of or most of this journey, then maybe you will be thankful today, perhaps thankful that you have uh, learned a little bit of God's story and that you play a significant role in that story, or maybe you're thankful that we're finally going to be finished with it. I don't know, one way or the other, but, uh, but um, uh, that's the journey we're going into. What we're going to do is look at the second last chapter in the Bible. Uh, Revelation chapter 21 is where we're going to spend our time this morning, and here John who's been given a revelation uh, from God, he is going to, he is going to uh, uh, paint a picture of what heaven looks like, uh, of what the end of the story is going to look like. So when all is said and done, and Christ returns as the rider on the horse, as Dave Shrine talked about last week, when, the, uh, when Satan is defeated... Uh, post-trib, pre-millennial, whatever, blah, 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 blah. What will human existence look like? What will, what will our experience look like? It's one of the big questions of life. What will eternity be like? What will it look like? What will it feel like? What will be our situation? It, it is, a, it is a, a question that many, many, many ponder. Will we be together? Will we be reunited with our loved ones? Will we get to uh, spend eternity with our wife or our husband? Or maybe for others of you, will you have to spend eternity with your uh, wife or husband? I don't know. Uh, someone may, uh, a child may come up to me and say, uh, Alan, what about dogs? Will I be with my dog in heaven? To which I, I would probably say, I don't know. Or somebody, another child may come up and say, will I be with my cat in heaven? To which I'd have to say, no. Uh, we just don't know. And so, uh, some things we, we can be pretty sure of, though. But the question is, what will our eternity look like? What will the heaven peace look like? And that's what we're going after today. Would you bow your heads with me? God, we are thankful this morning. Um, there is always something to be thankful for, and that's the beauty of this Thanksgiving weekend, is that, uh, yes, there are difficult things and things that are on our list of uh, questions and struggles that we have. There, there are always those things. But whatever's happening, God, we can always come before you and at the very least say we are thankful that you are who you are. And so we, we at least have that as a foundation today. We are thankful and we ask that you would uh, make this picture in Revelation 21 come alive for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you brought your Bibles, turn with me, please, to Revelation 21. And that's where we're going to spend our whole time uh, this morning. If you do not have a Bible, it's not too late for you to pick a free one up in the lobby if you'd like to have your own. It's so helpful to be able to look down on it and look at the words in front of you. So um, read with me or listen here. Revelation 21, beginning in verse 1, John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, 
beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Jump down to verse 9. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. What's uh, crystal clear here in this is that this new Jerusalem is the bride. The last character we're going to take a look at here in our whole shebang journey this year is the character of the bride. If you've been with us, you have heard me say that there are three characters in this story, three overall main characters in this story. We have God, the creator, the one who pursues us, the one who pursues to have a a restored relationship with us. We are the second character. It's us. It's humanity. It's the beloved. And then there's a third character who's the enemy trying to get in the way, sabotage this relationship. And this relationship between God and us, between the first two characters in this overall story, it is referred to many times as a marriage, that throughout the whole shebang, biblical story, that this relationship is a marriage of sorts. Just to uh, kind of walk through the different sections of the Bible, the first four tabs of your binder, if you have a binder, the very first one is called the Exodus, representing basically the first half of the Old Testament story. And in, the, and in the Exodus in Genesis chapter 12, God makes a covenant with Abraham. And this is a very essential part of the whole shebang story. We've talked about it earlier this year. And a covenant is a bond like no other, in the same way that a covenant of marriage is a bond like no other. God makes this covenant with Abraham. And then we move into the second half of the Old Testament, which we've labeled the exile. Because basically, it's the story of God, of God exiling the people out of Jerusalem because they would not turn from their ways. And God was warning them over and over and over again, passionately and compassionately. Warning them that if they don't change who they're worshiping and who their idols are, that God was going was to wipe them out to, to show them, I'm... I mean business. And so this whole exile story is where we see our prophets. And one of the prophets that we see, and there's a guy named Hosea. Hosea was married to an unfaithful woman named Gomer. And instead of abandoning this woman and saying, well, well, enough with you, he ended up continuing to pursue her in a beautiful and powerful way. And so Hosea was a prophet that God was using to to share an allegory with his people, saying that we are the unfaithful bride. We are the unfaithful one going after other gods and making other things more important than God. And God, like Hosea in the story, continues to pursue the bride, even though she has been unfaithful. So we see that relationship in the second half of the Old Testament. As we get into the New Testament, what we call the Messiah, or the story of Jesus that we find in the first four books of the New Testament, the Gospels. Jesus himself refers to himself as the bridegroom. He says the disciples don't have to fast because the bridegroom is with them right now. That, that, may, that fasting perhaps could be a part of their journey later on, but the bridegroom is with them. They don't need to fast right now. He refers to himself as the bridegroom. And then in the 
In the fourth tab, which we call the, the revolution, the revolution of love that was carried on after Jesus ascended into heaven by his disciples and his followers, we see uh, one, of, uh, one of the most prolific writers of our New Testament, Paul. In the book of Ephesians, he talks about the mystery of marriage, that this union of a man and a woman is, a, is an amazing mystery, and this is what God has set up for us. And he says, but this mystery... He says, I'm not talking about the marriage between a man and a woman. I'm talking about Christ and the church. And so he's clearly making this comparison, this metaphor, saying that that the marriage between a man and a woman is, is comparable, is a metaphor for the union and the restored relationship between God, between Christ and the church, between God and his bride. We are the bride of Christ. I know, men, that might be one of the hardest biblical things for you to kind of embrace or understand. But it's a very consistent piece in there. There's a very, there are very manly parts of Scripture where we get to be warriors. And then there's, there's also in Scripture where it says we are the bride of Christ. We are that loved by Christ. And preparing for the bridegroom is the ultimate goal of our character development. We are the bride of Christ in this whole journey of getting into character and building our own character character development. Preparing for the groom is the ultimate goal of our character development. Here in uh, chapter 21, John gives a description of what this eternity in this heaven would look like. This is where we get the phrase streets of gold, which shows up in literature and in music and etc. Just kind of painting a picture of what heaven might look like. But it's important as we go into chapter 21 to understand this isn't just a a flat-out physical architectural description of heaven. One of the pieces of evidence to that is in verse 16. He says, The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. Okay, that's fine. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide as and high as it is long. So, so wide, 12, uh, 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 that big wide, that big uh, long, and that big high. Well, was it 12,000? Yeah, 12,000 stadia is the equivalent of about 1,500 miles. That's reasonable in terms of wide and long, but a little hard to imagine in terms of high. The outer edge of our atmosphere here on this earth is about 30 miles. So to go 1,500 miles above that would mean that this earth, that this, uh, that this uh, New Jerusalem is a square that is mostly in space. So maybe not exactly, the, the, that's not exactly what we're supposed to be getting out of this. Uh, uh, C.S. Lewis addresses this. C.S. Lewis, if you remember, was one of the characters that we looked at earlier in our journey. Brilliant uh, author of the 20th century. He has this to say about some of the stuff we read in places like Revelation 21. He says something really important that I haven't memorized, so I need help with. Uh, There we go. Thank you. There is no need to be worried by facetious people who try to make the Christian hope of heaven ridiculous by saying they do not want to spend eternity playing harps. The answer to such people is that if they cannot understand books written for grown-ups, they should not talk about them. 
All the scriptural imagery, harps, crowns, gold, etc., is of course a merely symbolical attempt to express the inexpressible. People who take the symbols literally might as well think that when Christ told us to be like doves, he meant that we were to lay eggs. <laughs> You've got to love a guy who shoots straight like that. So again, this character development that, we, that we've been looking at this whole year is... is um, is about, is about preparing us as the bride for, for the groom. And so what, what Revelation 21 is, uh, is all about, it's not an architectural description of heaven as much as it is a description of what the bride is to be, what the bride is preparing herself to be. I want to take a look at three things, and they all start with S. So this morning, I'm going to be like almost like a real preacher, almost. Uh, so I don't normally do that, but they actually happen to land on there. So first of all, the bride is satisfied. Let me read here verse 6. He said to me, it is done. He, this is Jesus. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. Jesus satisfies. The bride will ultimately be satisfied. I had the great pleasure uh, last week. The reason I wasn't here last Sunday is that I got to have my first adult maybe only, but my first adult trip to Hawaii. My wife and I, uh, I was in Hawaii when I was uh, uh, seven. When I was seven years old, uh, uh, that's my dad over there, and I was checking in with him. And uh, they took me to Hawaii. I don't remember anything about it. I remember my brother got an ear infection. That's all I remember about Hawaii. So I didn't enjoy that trip as much as I enjoyed my trip last week uh, as an adult. And we went with the Halls. Marsh and Lori went with us. It was a fantastic time. Uh, my wife and I, took a kayak from the beach, Lanakai Beach on Oahu, and, and went over to these, they're called the Twin Islands, and they're little islets, little tiny little islands with a little, little bit of a beach and lots of, of uh, rock around them. And here's a picture of, of us on that, on that island. Uh, when we landed on there, there was a, there was a beached seal this is a Hawaiian monk seal. This was awesome. This is an endangered species that on this island just happened to be sitting there. I thought it was dead, but then I looked at it and it looked happy as anything just sitting there. So what I'm doing is I'm trying to make it feel comfortable. Um, I didn't want to stand over it because that seals can't do that. So I wanted to be like his buddy. And so I was kind of, you know, talking to him and my wife was being normal. But I was uh, down there talking to him. And I, plus I figured we could connect because he's a monk seal. I'm a pastor. There's sort of a, uh, a, maybe a kindred spirit that we would have in there. Right after this picture was taken, a, a volunteer in the wildlife protection or something, came running around the corner. There was somebody else on this island. Came running around the corner saying, get away from the seal! Get away from the seal! And apparently I was too close, and so uh, I didn't realize I was hurting anything. But anyway, uh, it was a phenomenal uh, experience here, uh, the, the monk seal, etc., etc. There was more than just the beauty of Hawaii, though, because just like any other city, Honolulu and Waikiki, there also is uh, a lot of the... Um, the trouble in, in these cities. And there's a number of homeless persons in, in Honolulu. If you've been there, you may have seen them on the beach. And I was surprised when I would walk along the beach at the number of homeless just sleeping, uh, covered up in blankets, sleeping on cardboard boxes that are spread out. I was surprised at the number of visible homeless 
They were just right on the beach there, right out there in the open, wondering why they would uh, uh, be, so, by, be so visible here in this area. And then it occurred to me that on these beaches, they have uh, fountains, water fountains available uh, all over the place. And so it would make sense to me, if I was homeless, that I would want to at least be at a place where I could have water. I want to at least be the place where I could satisfy my thirst. It makes sense. It's a human desire. Every one of us is thirsty. Jesus says here, uh, let the thirsty come to me. Every one of us is thirsty. There's so many in the world that are thirsty practically for clean water. That's probably not your issue right here this morning. But you're thirsty for something else. You're thirsty for meaning, for purpose, for satisfaction. Thirsty for spiritual fulfillment. It is a natural thing for us to be thirsty. We're all thirsty for something. And my guess is that most of us are, are dissatisfied. There's a discontent. There is some kind of uh, a hunger. We want more and more and more. It's part of what we struggle with in terms of our finances so often, that whatever we have isn't enough. We've got to have more and more and more. Black Friday is getting out of hand. It's getting out of control. There's a woman in uh, New York this year, Black Friday in the morning, she sprayed 20 people with pepper spray at a Walmart in order to protect their, her area of getting these Xbox games, probably for her kids, maybe for herself, I don't know. 20 people with pepper spray. I mean, I just can hardly imagine the scene, the situation, because of this desire for more, 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 more. Who would you say is more satisfied? The guy with eight kids or the guy with eight million dollars? It's, of course, the guy with eight kids because he doesn't want any more. There's a guy, there's a guy who's satisfied. But most, most of us, we, we, we struggle with this, with the dissatisfaction. We want more, 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 more. And some of you, some of us, have an appetite for something that is destructive in our lives. Have an appetite for something that leads to more and more dissatisfaction. More and more of a struggle. With more and more of a thirst for something that is not healthy for us. Jesus says, Tim, who is thirsty... I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. In the end, the bride will be utterly and completely and beautifully satisfied. Secondly, the bride will be safe. The bride will be safe. Let me read a couple verses beginning in verse 12. It, in other words, the the great city of Jerusalem, which is the bride, it had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. This whole picture of gates and walls, they certainly give this picture of protection, that there will be no fear here in this new Jerusalem. Even the angels themselves will be guarding on these gates. We long for security. We long for safety. That's why we want to build into our nest egg. It's why we want to have just enough. We want to make sure we have enough insurance. We, want to, uh, we overprotect our kids. 
because of this need for safety. And it's an elusive thing. It's slippery. It's hard for us to, 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 to grasp onto. The bride eventually and ultimately will be safe, but the bride, us, we are not safe this side of heaven because we live in a world that is not safe. We live in a world that is broken. We have written in our lobby, it says, we want to be a safe place to visit and a dangerous place to stay. I know some people struggle with the dangerous piece. What is that all about? Well, God calls us to live dangerously, to make dangerous decisions in terms of sacrifice, to make dangerous decisions in terms of what others might even think are crazy decisions, but to live dangerously. And we need to do that in this broken world because it is not a safe place. That it, it, the safety that we long for is not attainable in this world. So there's a need for us at times to live dangerously. It is a dangerous journey for persons to enter the military. To say, I want to, I want to, to be, a, be a part of protecting and serving in, in those ways. It's a dangerous journey to do that. But it must be done because this world is not safe yet. In the first verse here in this chapter, it's, it paints this picture and says there will be no more seas. Three quarters of the earth is, is water. And I was reminded there in Hawaii, just standing on the beach and looking out over the vast ocean, it's just incredible how separated... I felt from the mainland just how tiny this island sometimes feels with this huge body of water that's out in front of it. And in fact, water, the sea in the book of Revelation in other times represents separation. It represents danger. And so here John says, there will be no more sea. That there will be a new arrangement in terms of the earth, in terms of the sea, in terms of the water. That, that this is a symbol that we will no longer be separated from one another with all the ways that we create walls between one another. And we will no longer be separated from our God. The way that we are here in this unsafe, imperfect world that we live in. That the bride will be satisfied, and the bride will finally and wonderfully be safe. And thirdly, in the next verse, verse 14, we see that, that the bride is stable. The bride will eventually be stable. Verse 14 reads, The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. When you talk about foundations, you talk about stability. Foundations, boom, it's the, it's the thing that holds it all together stability there. And I love that even, even the story is stabilized through the mention in verse 12 of the 12 tribes uh, on the gates and then the 12 apostles on the foundations. The 12 tribes represents the Old Testament story. This is the 12 tribes that we see in the Exodus story of how the people of God were, were, were um, divided up. And then we see in the New Testament story that Jesus uh, chose 12 apostles, 12 disciples to follow him. And so there's this continuity of this story. There's this stability that this overall plan that God has has been consistent throughout the whole journey, throughout the whole shebang journey. 
fact, the number 12 is significant also, that throughout the whole journey, 12 means organization. 12 means there's a plan, and, God, and there's stability in knowing that God's in control. God has a plan. He's not just making this thing up as he goes, but that he has had a plan through the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles. God is in control. He has a plan overall. Do you ever feel the uneasiness of instability? Of just, of just kind of life this side of heaven, not having the firm foundation that we would like it to have. Where someone that you care about, a friend, moves because of whatever situation. It's just, it just kind of rocks your world. It rocks your stability. Or you have to move because of a job situation. Or in a very inopportune time, someone gets sick, and then life is unstable for that part of the journey. It's hard. Or a death happens, and it's just, it just completely makes the whole thing unstable. All of that stuff will be gone, which is the picture that is being painted here. And, and I don't know about you, but I long for stability. The average time for a pastor to stay at a church in the United States is around three years. Come in, and especially a teaching pastor, to come in and do three years and then move on. The reason is, we, we don't have anything more to say. And so we, we, we just kind of think, well, I've got to go and be fresh somewhere else. And so what, what I hope is that you'll allow me to continue to just repeat myself so that I can, so that I can be here and because I, I value stability, I want roots. I want firm foundations in terms of relationships. There's some value for me. Now, if you've got to move or you, you move on a regular basis, I mean, that's, that's, that's your story. But for me, there's a value for me in terms of stability. But this stability that I long for will not be fulfilled completely until the end, until the story is all done. That's when the firm foundations, boom, will be planted there. And this has been God's plan all along. I want to read here from Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, The writer says, By faith he, and he's talking about Abraham, this way back in the Old Testament, the very beginning in the book of Genesis, By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Don't you love the continuity of God's story here? He's talking about way at the beginning of the whole shebang in the Old Testament, that they lived in tents. And here, this was written long before John wrote his revelation. And it says he was looking forward to the city with foundations, which is exactly what John's writing about here in chapter 21, referring to the New Jerusalem, the very, very end of the story. This has been God's plan all along, is that, is that our journey here will have some instability. That this is not our permanent place. In fact, this shows up in the architecture of our church, of our building. This whole, this whole piece, this whole value. It's the reason we have a lot of canvas in the front. It's the reason at the very top, if you haven't seen it yet, on your way out, Take a look back at the very top center of the church. There's these, there's these uh, canvas pieces up there to look like a tent so that our church in and of itself, is, this is a temporary place. That, that our home, our permanent home, is, is not here in this place. It's just a tent. 
that God's offering stability for us somewhere else in the future. I want to read here verse 22. John says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. There's no temple, there's no church in this city. Part of the instability for us is that we separate the churchy stuff from the non-churchy stuff. We separate the sacred from the secular. So part of the instability is that we get jostled around by, yes, God is so present and real, and then we go somewhere else in life and we just say, just say well, I, I don't see God in this situation at all. We have such godly experiences in life and we have such terribly ungodly experiences in life, and it's part of the instability. And John paints a picture here saying, in the end, there won't even be, need to be a temple because Christ The light of Christ will pervade every part of it. And as we move toward this, we are wise as followers of Christ to be consistent and stable in terms of our character so that we're not somebody different around Christians or in this place than we are in other areas of our life. This whole character development piece, it is essential for stability and consistency to be woven into that journey. Maybe we can get started by having, uh, making good character decisions in one area of our lives, but that is to flow into all areas of our lives. May Christ reign in every area of our lives. So the three things. In the end, the bride will be satisfied, the bride will be safe, the bride will be stable. And our journey here right now is to move toward that. Let me reread verse 2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Brides spend a lot of time preparing for, that, for the wedding day. A lot of money, a lot of time goes into that whole deal. There are magazines all about this one day and all the prep that goes into that. and uh, For the groom, not so much. Um, I, I, I don't remember any groom magazines. When I was uh, preparing for uh, my wedding, I didn't pour over the magazines. I, I didn't really know what I was going to wear because I just wore whatever my wife told me to wear because she's the one who read the magazines. And so then I was set, all set up for that. But there's this thing. We've been doing it for centuries where the, the bride prepares for the moment, prepares for the groom. As we kind of look on the overall whole shebang journey, at, at, at the whole character development issue, as you look at the whole year, any moment that you take a step forward in terms of your character development, the bride is getting a little bit more prepared for the groom. Every moment that we take a step forward in terms of our character development. Every time that we, that we uh, make a good decision that honors God, especially sacrificial and difficult decisions, the bride is getting a little bit more prepared for the groom. Every time. Every time that we let go of ourselves a little bit in order to love God or love others or love our wives or love our husbands or love our kids or love those that God has put into our Lives, every time that we do that, the bride is getting a little bit more prepared for the groom. 
We are the bride of Christ. And preparing for the groom is the ultimate goal of our character development. In any way that God has touched you this year, the ultimate goal of that character development is to prepare ourselves for the bridegroom. Now I want to close with one more verse, one more little piece here that is so central to the story. The very last verse here in chapter 21. John writes, Nothing impure will ever enter it. That's the city. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Most Americans have some kind of picture of what heaven looks like. And most Americans believe they're going to be there. But I think we all need to be real careful in terms of where that belief comes from and why we would assume we were going to be there. John makes it very clear that only those whose names are written in the book of life will be in that city. And this is the part where many who are seeking or struggling or asking questions, they stumble on this, saying that that's not fair. It doesn't seem fair. What about those who don't have access to this story? How could God not allow them to be in this city forever? It doesn't make any sense. Well, I think it does in terms of the overall story. Because that's why he's given us this story. That's why we have a responsibility to share this story with persons in all the nations around the world. That's why we have a heart to to have impact in India and Honduras and Mexico and elsewhere here in our city and, and in our community here. That's why. That's why it's important to get this story out so that people can know about that. And, and then what about you? If, do you have any uncertainty as to whether your name is written in the book of life? Do you have, you have any question about that? I mean, when you read that, do you think, I think my name will be written in there. Or do you have assurance? And it really is not that complicated. It's just a matter of, of believing that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the central part of this overall story. Jesus is the way that we, the bride, can have a restored relationship with God, the groom. Jesus is the way that we can have that restored relationship. And it's simply a matter of saying, I believe Jesus is the Messiah. And even though I don't understand everything fully, I want to follow him the rest of my days. So as we close here today, I want to make sure everyone, anyone has an opportunity to make sure your, your name is in the book of life, that you have the opportunity to enter into this glorious city as the bride. You can uh, come up front and do that individually on your own and just say, God, I want my name to be in the book of life. I give my heart to Jesus. I want him to be the Lord of my life. You can come and do that, and no one will bother you here in the front here in this time of prayer. You can go to the, to the sides at either side, and there'll be folks on the prayer team who'd love to pray with you if you'd like to have somebody walk that through with you. And over here to, the, to your right, um, there'll be anointing from um, uh, persons on the board, and they would love to pray with you over that as well. And just as we have on regular weeks, you can also come up and uh, nail something to the cross to say, I don't want to take that back with me. You can come and light a candle if you'd like. And as always, in the very center of the room is our communion experience. 
where the bread and the cup, they represent the body and the blood of Jesus that died on the cross so that we can have a restored relationship with God. And it is for those whose names are written in the book of life to respond to Jesus who says, do this in remembrance of me so you can come and participate in communion if you'd like. A number of different ways for you to respond. Would you bow your head with me? Father, thank you for your story. What an amazing story. And what a picture it is that we get to be the bride. Just think about the excitement of of the bride and wanting to be with the groom. May we have that kind of excitement as, as we long to be with you, God, now and forever. And Father, I pray for those in this room who perhaps have uncertainty in terms of whether or not their names are written in the book of life, that you would stir their hearts now, not out of fear, but out of hope and excitement of spending eternity with you. And that you would give assurance and certainty and stability and safety and satisfaction to the idea of knowing that we are your bride and that we have assurance we will be in this mighty new Jerusalem. Father, these things that we have reflected on this year and that we've looked at here today, these are the things that we can be incredibly thankful for. Come and meet us now as we respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.